Hello. You are listening to the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. We are here to walk with parents on their unwanted journey of child loss, guiding them to a place of hope, light, and purpose, not in spite of their child's death, but as a way to honor his or her life. And now, here is your host, author, speaker, and bereaved parent, Laura Deal. I am going to start out by letting you know that you may be hearing rain in the background of this podcast. For those of you who may not know, Dave and I live in a motorhome. We call it the Hope Mobile. It means that we don't have a lot of control sometimes over the sound that's going on around us when we record. So you may hear the pitter-patter of rain in the background throughout this. Last episode, I shared that this week we would be going on to the physical breakdown after the death of our child. And after that, I realized we really didn't complete talking about our soul. Last week, I talked about how we're a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. And the soul is our mind, our will, and emotions. Last week, we covered the emotions, but we didn't talk about our mind and our will, which would be our mental breakdown. So I wanted to complete the talk about our soul, and this week we're going to be talking about our mind and the mental breakdowns. And if you're like me, the mental breakdowns are so very frustrating. I've often asked myself, why am I like this? Because I've gotten to the point where sometimes I am just fine. And other times I'm so easily agitated or I'm in a fog or I'm just plain a mess. And the answer is because I am a parent who's lost a child. It makes me unpredictable and I don't like being that way. It makes me feel like I come across as really unstable. But in reality, that's now part of who I am. And I will always be capable at any moment of returning to be that fragile, broken person. Even simple little things are so difficult on us mentally. For instance, we have to do an in-depth examination to be able to answer the simple question, how are you? First, I have to think about, are you asking about this exact moment, how are you? Or as a whole, how are you? Because this can cause me to have two completely different answers. Are you asking me because you really want to know? Or is it more of a greeting and you, you don't know what else to say? It's just how we greet each other and you really want or expect a quick answer of fine. I'm fine, so you can move on. Maybe you're just the clerk at the store who's using it more as a greeting. And I really shouldn't unload on you in my sarcasm and in pain, no matter how I'm feeling at the moment. Or... Are you a safe person to give a truthful answer to? And at this point, I am exhausted going through all of the options in my head, determining what's easiest on both me and the one asking. And so usually I will just give that generic pat answer, I'm fine or I'm good. So the person asking probably won't get the truth. People telling us they know how we feel can cause all kinds of fireworks to go off inside of us. Any kind of a family event can send us into a tailspin that no one around us understands. So they try and fix us, they say things to us that make no sense, or maybe they decide they're just through with us. There are so many triggers that we have now, aren't there? I recently had a parent tell me that just looking at the titles of these podcasts can send her into a meltdown. I've been quite surprised to discover that men are actually more vocal about having grief meltdowns when when this is presented to them. Men 
talk about it more than women do actually have more to say about this, which has really been surprising to me, uh, almost more than any other subject about the death of their child. And the way Dave explains it is that most men put everything in mental boxes. They pull out one box at a time, and when they're done with that thing, they put that box away and they get out a different box. So they might have their job box, their football box, their wife box, their nothing box, and they do have one, believe it or not. But the problem is there are times they pull out a box and they discover that their grief has shattered into that box because grief shatters into all their boxes and they don't know what to do with it or how to make it stop. They can't just sweep up all the pieces and put it in their little grief box to put it neatly on the shelf and only take it out when they want to. And some of them do try really hard to to do that. Let me just say here that even though the first few years are brutal in this area of this mental breakdown and and just, just how we are, in our heads and in all the confusion and fog and pain and all of that, the time between the breakdowns gets longer and they don't last as long. I know those first couple of years for me, I felt like that was never going to happen. I just wanted the pain to end and I couldn't understand why it was taking so long. In case you didn't know, Experts say that five years and under is considered fresh grief for a parent. So if you are still in those first five years, there is nothing wrong with you, and you are okay if you aren't getting past it yet. Also, the death of a child is considered traumatic grief, and a lot of parents have PTSD based on the circumstances around the death of their child. So it is okay not to be okay for several years Those of us who are ahead of you on this road, expect it. Don't use those around you who've never faced the death of their own child to heap guilt on you or to make you feel like something is wrong with you and the way you're missing your child and still grieving deeply. Those of us who have been through this know better. I could spend so much time on all the things that make us feel like we're going crazy, but I would rather spend more time talking about the things that we can do to help us through this. First of all, keep connecting with other perievers. Perievers are parents who have been bereaved of their child. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to know more about where that word perever came from. But keep connecting with other perievers who have learned how to live again after the death of their child. It's easy to find those who say life will forever be black and never be worth living again, but that doesn't help you at all. That may be their life right now, but it doesn't have to be yours. You need to connect with those who can be the light and the hope for you as they walk with you until your own hope starts taking root and growing inside of you, no matter how long that takes, which leads me to the second thing. You are going to have to fight to change what you believe, which changes how you think. I can believe things like, I'll never get past this, or I will always feel this way. I know some parents even believe that they don't want to get past this, which is usually because they equate the pain of grieving the death of their child with remembering their child. They're afraid if they quit hurting so much, they're going to forget their child. And I'm telling you right now, that is impossible to do. And this is a perfect example of how your beliefs 
drive your thoughts. Because if you believe that staying in your pain will keep the memory of your child alive, then you will choose to continue in that emotional state of despair and not be able to live a life of peace and hope and fullness. That includes walking out your God-ordained destiny. And yes, you still have one. For me, I was an international children's minister, in case you didn't know that. And my ministry changed drastically after Becca died. But the calling on my life did not. See, I have been called to encourage and to equip the body of Christ for many, many years, over 20, 25 years. I did that through children's ministry. But after Becca died, everything changed. As you are well aware, everything changes in our lives. And God began to move Dave, my husband, and I into this ministry to grieving parents who are on the road behind us. So the ministry itself has changed drastically, but the calling has not. And it's the same for you. You still have a calling on your life. Some of you may be struggling, wondering if it is even right for you to go on with your own life without your child. And let me release you from that thought right now. Yes, it is okay to go forward with your life, even though your child is not here to continue his or her life. I know that that probably hurts to hear me say that. When my kids were younger, if they saw me sick or worried or maybe even crying, they would come up to me in their sweetness and their innocence and try to make me feel better. And they, they didn't like to see their mommy hurt in any way. And I'm guessing you have experienced the same thing. And I'm pretty sure that our children still feel the same way. I know that we would much rather it would have been us who left this earth instead of our child, but it wasn't. So here's my question. Are you honoring your child by allowing your grief to cause your own emotional death? Or would you rather honor your child by living a life he or she could point at proudly and say, that's my mom, that's my dad? See, believing the truth is just as powerful as believing a lie. I'm going to say that the other way around now. Believing a lie is just as powerful as believing the truth. Most people live out of their feelings, especially in grief. And feelings do not always equal the truth. To put that in a different way, just because I have feelings about something, no matter how strong those feelings are, it doesn't mean that my feelings are necessarily based on the truth. To change your beliefs and thoughts, you have to know and understand the truth because it is truth that will set you free. We know that in our heads, and I don't know if we have applied that to us in our grief. It is the truth that will set you free. To experience victory in any area of our lives, we have to overcome limiting beliefs in the areas that are tripping us up. And this is especially true after the death of our child. Over the years, I've been faced with the same question over and over again. And that question is, what determines God's goodness? Is he good because he answers my prayer the way I want him to? Is that what makes a person good because they give us what we want to make us happy? Or is someone good because they know how to make right decisions for everyone involved? Are they good because they're not willing to compromise in the moment but hold fast because they see and know the greater good further down the road? And I know we can't see that. And that's 
what makes the struggle so difficult here. And my heart goes out to people who walk away from God because he didn't give them the answer they wanted to a prayer. But God's not a vending machine where we put in the prayer and we push out a button and the solution we want drops out for us. I remember when one of my granddaughters a few years ago, she was being taught to say, please. I think she was about two. And she had to learn that just because she said, please, no matter how sweetly, that didn't mean that she was automatically going to get what she wanted. And there were some pretty ugly temper tantrums with learning that, that just because you say please doesn't mean you still get it. When you ask someone for something, they have a choice to say yes or no. And when we ask God for something, he has the choice to say yes or no. Did I want him to say yes and allow Becca to stay here on this earth? Of course I did, with every fiber of my being. As a matter of fact, I fully believed he was going to heal her heart, either through a miracle or through a heart transplant. And I was totally blindsided when she died, even though she was so sick. Do I believe God killed my daughter to use it in some way in my life? Absolutely not. Do I believe that God allowed the natural consequences of a fallen, sick, and sinful world to take effect, not stopping it, even though many people were praying for her healing? Yes, I do. Do I still give him permission to do what he wants to do as God instead of what I want him to do because he can see so much more than I can see? Yes. I have chosen not to change my thoughts and beliefs on who God is just because I didn't get a prayer answered the way I wanted him to, no matter how painful it has been. And to get through this to be able to live again, we cannot lean on our own understanding in all of our ways. We have to acknowledge the truth that God is always good, whether we agree with his decisions or not, because he can see what we can't see. He knows what we don't know. He sees the whole picture. I don't know if you've heard of Johnny Erickson Tata. I think she was like 16 when she dove into a lake or a swimming pool, and it was more shallow than she realized, and she snapped her neck, and she's been paralyzed from the neck down her entire life. And as someone so young to have something so tragic happen, obviously she struggled a lot. And one of the things that she says is sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. I want to read a poem to you that I share a lot when I'm out speaking. It's called The Weaving. It was written by Corrie ten Boom. Corrie ten Boom survived a concentration camp during the time of the Holocaust. She herself was not a Jew, but her family was caught hiding Jews, and they were sent to a concentration camp. Her sister died. Her father died. Her entire family died. She almost died, and she was released by a clerical error. But obviously her time there was horrible. And she talks about a time where she saw or met one of the Nazis that had beaten her sister or something along that line. I mean, she just went through hell on earth being in the concentration camp. And this is something that she has written. This poem is called The Weaving. And it says, My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I do not choose the colors. He worketh steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. 
Not till the loom is silent and shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the skillful weaver's hand as threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. I love that poem because it reminds us that we only see here on earth. We can't see from eternity's perspective what God sees. You know, when God created us, he did an amazing thing. One of the ways he made us in his image is by allowing us to think our own thoughts. He doesn't control our thoughts, even though he could. He allows us to even think that he is the evil one. I remember times when my kids blamed me for something and were angry at me when I wasn't the one who caused the pain, or my decision was based on something I could see that they couldn't. And it's the same way with God. He allows us to have our own thoughts, even if we believe a lie about him. That's how much he loves us. He doesn't force us to trust him or to love him. He lets it come from our own choice and our own thoughts. Don't let the enemy take the greatest pain and darkness you have ever faced and turn it into a lie that God doesn't love you or that he has turned his back on you. There are only two ways that I know of to get out of the enemy's sticky web of mental anguish and torture and breakdowns. One of them is gratitude. And a way to help with this is every night before going to bed, think of three things that you can be thankful for and write it down in a notebook. Even if it's as small as today I watched a chipmunk and he made me forget my pain for 60 seconds or someone called and left a message. I didn't feel like answering the phone, but at least somebody called to see how I was doing or I made cookies today and they smelled really good. Find three things that you can be thankful for and write them down. The other way is to purposely work on changing your perspective or your thoughts after the death of our child. We all need our minds to be transformed, totally changed, and renewed at this point. Our thinking has to be reprogrammed because what we focus on is what will grow. So if you continue to focus on the pain and the loss... It's going to grow until it's ready to consume you and overtake you and swallow you up in the dark abyss. But if instead you begin to think about and focus on truth that probably goes against how you feel, you may not think so right now, but you can actually get to the place where you can celebrate your child's life instead of being stuck in the pain of their death. And I know that sounds impossible. And I've had so many parents say, That might be true for you, but it's not true for me. And those same parents will find themselves in this place as they take the steps to move forward to get there. But it is something we have to fight our way through. It's not easy, but it's worth it. I want to share just a few verses that helped me with this. And I know for a lot of us, the last thing we want to do is pick up our Bible and read because we're just so mad at God. And yet there's something inside of us that knows we need him, and yet we're so angry at him. It's such a conflict inside of us, isn't it? Let me just read these few scriptures to you and share why they helped me, especially at the beginning. Psalm 91.9 says, You have made the Lord who is my refuge, 
even the Most High, your dwelling place. And I would tell the Lord, I want that. Lord, teach me how to make you my dwelling place, not the pain, not the the loss of Becca, but you. Psalm 71, 3 says, Be to me a rock of habitation to which I may continually come. God, help me to come to you habitually. I want you, I need you to be my rock. Romans 8, 18. This has been a favorite scripture of mine for many years, way before Becca died, but it has become even more powerful to me now. Romans 8.18 says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. And it's like, oh my goodness, the suffering is so deep. The pain is so deep. I can't even imagine a glory that is so great. It can't even be compared to the depth of my pain and suffering here after Becca's death. That's got to be some glory. And to think that our children are experiencing that. Wow. Ephesians 3.20. With God's power working in us, he can do much, much more than anything we could ask or think. A lot of us are familiar with that scripture that God will do above and beyond all that we could ask or think or imagine. And the thing is, we're so used to hearing that scripture in the connotation of like um, physical blessings. Oh, yeah, I can imagine a lot. Boy, God's going to really bless me kind of a thing. But I, there are so many scriptures now that I see in a totally, I see with totally new eyes that in, in ways that I never saw before, such a depth and a richness. And to me, this this verse now says that he's going to do more than anything I could ask or think. And you know what? When Becca first died, I, I couldn't ask or think of anything. I, everything was just so black and so dark. But God says he's going to do so much more than that. And and that, I don't know if I'm, I'm explaining it right, but we can't ask or think of anything. We just want our child back, right? But God says he's going to do above and beyond so much more than what anything we could ask or think right now, which to me means he's going to bring light in the darkness and he's going to bring hope into our hopelessness and he's going to give our life purpose and meaning again because that is more than what we can ask or think of right now, isn't it? 1 Peter 5.10, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, will perfect, which means he will mature us or restore us, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Wow, that's something to hold on to. 1 Peter 1.3 says, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God's specialty is bringing life from death. And that includes our own death that we died in our soul. And God wants to breathe life back into that and birth into us a new living hope because of his own resurrection power. Psalm 143.8 is a scripture that I have been just meditating in for about two weeks now. There's something about this verse that I just keep reading it over and over, and I read it in the morning, and I read it at night, and I'll pull it up on my phone during the day, but there's something about this verse. Psalm 143, verse 8 says, Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. 
man, do I need that. Every morning, I need the word. I need to feel. I need to know. I, I need it in my life, your unfailing love. Every morning, Lord, I need that brought to me. For I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go. For to you, I entrust my life. And we have to remember Revelation twenty-two thirteen that he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. Do you know what that means? That means that he has the final word. He has the final word. Death is not the end. I'm so thankful for that. As I close, I want to share with you one of my thoughts that had to be reprogrammed. I didn't want to be two years or five years or 10 years further away from Becca. That thought could be so overwhelming. It, it, it would cause such a, a panic in me. It was almost like I couldn't breathe when I would start thinking about being here on this earth that for that long without Becca here with me. And I asked God to help me by giving me his thoughts. Lord, I need your thoughts on this because it just, it, I, I can't explain what it did to me. I found myself realizing that the truth is actually something totally different from what was in my thoughts. What I realized, what I feel like the Lord showed me was that every day I live here on this earth, it brings me closer to my own departure date, which means I'm closer to Becca. Every day I'm here, I'm getting closer to her. I'm not getting further away from her. And wow, that truth has set me free. That's what I mean by the truth sets us free. And it's not based on our feelings. So we need to really seek the truth because that's what will set us free. And yes, I still have moments when I have these thoughts and they can still overwhelm me and make me cry. But I'm not overwhelmed to the point of not being able to function, you know, for days. Because now I believe a truth that is deeper than my pain. I'm getting closer to Becca, not further away from her. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. This is a scripture I shared at Becca's funeral. God gave me the grace and the strength to do that. And it says, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And I know that this is not light. This is not a light trouble. That's not what I'm saying. Um, When we get to the side of eternity, I believe we'll look back and see that it was based on eternity and the glory. But right now, while we're in it, it's not light, okay? But it says it's achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal eternal. Wow, that's another one to really hold on to tightly. Just think about it. Our children are more alive than we are because they are in eternity on the other side. They are in the glory. They are with the Lord. They are more alive than we are. I'm trying to help you to believe that maybe, just maybe, It's possible to get past this, to believe that I'm not always going to be in this kind of mental chaos and mental breakdown. Because if you can see that others have been where you are, and we have gone through it and we have come out the other side, 
We don't struggle with that like we used to. We're not living in that pit of darkness and that mental chaos and confusion. Yes, we can be thrown back in there once in a while, but that's not where we live. So I hope and pray that connecting to other people and hearing this short word that I've just shared with you in my heart, that it will help give you just a spark, a seed of hope planted in your heart, that if others can do that and be in that place, then maybe I can too. It's time for our birthday segment that we have every week. This week we have three birthdays to celebrate with their families. First, we have Alistair James Fleming, who was born on September 19th, and he is forever 26. Brittany Evans was born on September 25th, and she is forever 26 also. Sherry Martinez was born on September 28th, and she is forever 31. If you would like to have your child's birthday shared with our listeners, I would be honored to do so. Just go to gpshope.org slash birthdays. There will just be a little form for you to put in the information and submit it, and I'll put them on our list, and the week of their birthday, I will announce it. I want to share with you something that I am working on. It's something I've been wanting to do for, oh my goodness, three years maybe now. The book that I wrote, When Tragedy Strikes, I've been wanting to put a course together because I've had people that want more interaction with me with that book to take it deeper and how do I actually activate these tools and use them. And so I'm in the process of developing a course. There are going to be three levels to that course. And if you want to find out more about it, it's going to be available November 1st. We have a web page for it that explains it, all the different modules, what it will be taking you through, and, and how it will be helping you. Just go to gpshope.org slash WTS course. That stands for When Tragedy Strikes. I'll also have that link in the show notes if you didn't catch it here. Also in the show notes, I'll go ahead and put the verses that I shared in the podcast. And I'll also make available to you, we have a list of 36 scriptures of hope. And so I'll make that available to you also on the show notes. Any of the links mentioned, you can find them at gpshope.org. Just hit the podcast button and go to episode 23. And you'll find all the links, everything we talked about here. And the last thing I want to remind you is to hold on. Pain eases. There is 